The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, broadcasting from the Cromer Mashburn Family Studios here at WMKV 89.3 and WLHS 89.9. Real Life Real Estate is, as always, your public radio source for information and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to have a conversation that you landlords are going to love because we have all had some of the thoughts and instincts that my guest today is going to discuss and we've never been able to put numbers behind them and today we're going to find out what the real logic is behind risk in a rental property before we get to today's guest. A couple of local events coming up, big deals here in the Cincinnati area, of course everyone is welcome if you can, I don't know, get to the Cincinnati area. I know we've got listeners all over the United States, but uh, uh, this upcoming weekend, there is a Grow Your Tax-Free Plan with Real Estate two-day seminar uh, sponsored by the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati and Equity Trust Company. Uh, During this event, there will be experts from IRA custodians, to tax attorneys, to a whole bunch of real-life real estate investors who are just going to talk about what they do in their own self-directed IRAs, 401ks, education savings accounts, health savings accounts, etc., to plan for their retirement through investing in real estate in those plans. You can get more information about that and a full agenda now at CincinnatiRia.com. The other big, big event is next Thursday at Cincinnati RIA's uh, regularly scheduled meeting on the 21st, Thursday the 21st. It is the annual trade show for real estate entrepreneurs and landlords. That meeting is being held at the Sharonville Convention Center. There will be about 50 vendors with various products and services that uh, they offer to make your life easier, save you money, keep things more organized for you, etc. And it is free, 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 free for anyone who wants to attend. You do need to RSVP, though, at CincinnatiRia.com so that, I don't know, they buy enough cookies or something. Just got to know how many people are going to be there. So that's CincinnatiRia.com. For either event coming up in the next couple of weeks. My guest today is Scott Abbey, who is the co-founder and president of RentFactsPro.com. 
Uh, he's got over 30 years experience as an owner and manager of real estate service and technology businesses. Uh, he's owned a full service real estate consulting and property management company for the last uh, 20 years. And what is very interesting about Scott is that he has developed some strategies and systems for analyzing and maximizing the returns on a piece of real estate uh, based on based on certain uh, risk factors that can be gathered from data that is out there in the world. He is joining us today by phone. Uh, welcome to Real Life Real Estate, Scott. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on today. I am very glad that you could uh, you could join me. We've been uh, trying to schedule something here for a while and had your schedule, my schedule. So <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, I'm finally getting to talk to you in front of everyone. I mean, I've talked to you uh, at some length today about the different things that you're doing, and, and I find them fascinating because one of the things about the small investing business as opposed to like people who invest in commercial properties and apartment buildings, they have all sorts of data at their fingertips that we don't really have when when we're investing in single family homes. And I've always said that, you know, if I ever win the billion dollar lottery, I'm going to set up a statistics company to do nothing but find out if all this stuff we say, that all these things we quote are true, you know. (sighs) But you have uh, actually bothered to uh, create uh, at least a a piece of uh, missing data for small landlords. And uh, I guess it's because of your experience as a property manager and because of things that you noticed as you were managing properties. Um, Tell us a little bit about what those observations were and what you started to to notice to put together about why one property might perform really well and a different one with exactly the same management might not. Well, it's um, it's a pleasure. Um, I, I am a, a bit of a, a geek when it comes to numbers, and I have an IT background. So when I, I started up my property management business, one of the things I wanted to do was to have yeses and nos as opposed to maybes in decision-making. And one of the things that I found that was uh, quite interesting was I, I managed a rather large portfolio of properties, still do, and I observed that property A and property B, basically the same configuration, only uh, less than a quarter of a mile from each other, uh, could have significantly different outcomes in the long-term income stream went under the exact same management, same processes, same screening techniques. Everything was the same, but I observed over time consistency in the absence of these. uh, One would have better result than the other, and I started correlating that. And when the 2000 census data came out, I, I harvested as much as I could for my area. And at that point, I was using zip codes as opposed to um, the now smaller category of census tracts. But I observed that over the course of about 10 years in seeing if I couldn't find trends or correlations between certain data that I had and began to recognize that there was predictability with certain types of data. So I created a ratio, a relative index, if you will, for my my area, the Kansas City market area, 
and found that I could predict with accuracy those properties that would would be more stressed than others uh, based on the index number that I arrived at through the... At that time, I had nine different demographic measurements. We have subsequently expanded that considerably. But in that crude sense, it, it through the measurement of different uh, demographic content, there is a certain predictability in terms of the probability of an interruption or an uninterruption, if you will, of the income stream over time. Because mm-hmm. real estate is all about time, and the, the old term location, location, location is so critical in an investment that location does have impact, and the uh, tenants that are attracted to a location are those that we're, we're, we're going to manage as a tenant in the investment that we're, we're holding. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here, Scott. Uh, after which we're gonna talk about what sort of market, demographic, environmental factors that that you found to be crucial. In what way they're crucial, and what you mean by a property might be more stressed than another. We're also going to take listener questions at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. Or via our website, if you just go to realliferealestate.com, click the Ask Vina a Question button, fill in your question, and send it on over. We will uh, get it and read it on the air. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate on Facebook at facebook.com slash Radio, or by joining our email list at realliferealestate.com. As a subscriber to our weekly email, you get an article by or relating to the topic of our guest that week. You get information about upcoming events happening all over the country. And of course, most importantly, you get reminded not to miss the show. Every place I go in the U.S., people say, you know, I I really enjoy your podcast, but I always forget to listen to the live show where I can answer questions. Well, you won't do that if you subscribe at realliferealestate.com because on the day of the program, we will send you a reminder telling you it's coming up and that it's time to turn on your radio or go to wmkvfm.org and listen in. My guest today is Scott Abbey from rentfactspro.com. We're talking about a, a way that he models rental properties, whether it's one you haven't bought yet, or in my case, maybe one I do own and I'm deciding whether to sell this one or that one. And maybe I might want to look at the um, the probable long-term performance of that property, not at what am I getting right now for rent and the tenant yeah, is paying on time for right now, but uh, what is over over time? What is the risk of owning that property? Now, Scott, you you talk about risk levels. You talk about you know maybe this property is a you know scores a, a twenty one and this one scores an eighty seven and one of those is a high risk property and one is a low risk property. What exactly are you are you referring to when you say that? What makes a property risky versus not risky? What does a risky property have that a not risky property uh, doesn't have? 
That's a great question. The, the risky property is, when I say risk, it is, it is the probability of an income interruption. What, what's the volatility of the income? And the greater the volatility of an interruption in income, the higher the risk. And things that drive that volatility are some of the more commonly thought of things, such as crime, but things like education, because education, good education, tends to hold tenants longer because they want to stay in those schools. Um, the economics of the area, how well, what's the unemployment rates? Um, what's the drive time to get to um, the economic centers of the city? Um, what's the migration habits of the ins and outs of people? What's the frequency of, of turnover? How, what's the tenancy durations? Um, those are things that <clears throat> all have an impact in varying degrees, and when when correlated together, there's a, there's an element of predictability that if those if all those indicators are show show poor then there is the relative position in the marketplace, the city, if you will, the, MS, the uh, MSA, um, then the, the higher the probability there will be an interruption of income stream over the course of time. And to your point, when, you, when we just started this dialogue, most, most investors look at a today's moment in time, how much rent am I going to receive, and then what are my costs thereby creating a net uh, income. But the... Oftentimes, it's very difficult to predict, well, what's going to happen if in nine months there's an interruption in that income? And it's rarely, it's a nine-month interruption in income is rarely considered in most performance. But if you have an eviction, for example, in a, within nine months of the tenancy, there will be months of recovery, if not years of recovery of cash flow to recover from the losses from that single event. Mm-hmm. And so where is that more likely to happen? This this index or this scale helps provide insight as to where, uh, in what areas will be more probable to that versus less probable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And interestingly, you're not saying don't buy high-risk properties. No. No, I'm saying buy high-risk properties with eyes wide open. Understand that when you're going into an area of higher risk, you necessarily need greater margin and you need to be more sensitive to vacancy consideration, more sensitive to uh, maintenance and turnover costs, uh, and you also have to be more sensitive to the management that you hire or that the management that you apply if you're a landlord. Uh, diligence in tenant selection and longevity of tenancies is the absolute most critical component in making the investment more successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in other words, you're saying it is more, I think, it, it is more important in an area that, that uh, mathematically shows up as being high risk to make sure that you are going to get tenants who have the best chance of staying for the longest period of time. Absolutely. We have we've compiled tenancy duration data as part of our modeling, and there are neighborhoods I can show you throughout the country that have a less than 50% chance, based on five years of history, of tenant-occupied um, tenant properties in census tracts, less than a 50% chance of, of completing a 12-month lease. Mm-hmm. And when, when you see those kind of data stats, then it changes your thinking about how, do I, how am I going to screen for the person I'm going to put in this thing, because I want to beat the odds 
of what that neighborhood historically has created. Mm-hmm. And so it then becomes, how do I create value in the rental property to attract the best possible tenant quality to that demographic or to that location? Mm-hmm. And that value is often created in making certain that your property is above average for the area, making certain that it's priced so that it's an attractive price, and making sure that it's affordable so that the tenant has a chance of success. Because oftentimes affordability is the culprit in the uh, reduced tenancy duration because the the rents are just too high for the available monies uh, for the tenant attracted to the area. Mm-hmm. I read a statistic the other day um, that in that currently in a lot of low and even moderate income rental areas, tenants are paying up to 50% of their take-home pay on yeah. housing expense, on rent, utilities, etc. And, and it, go ahead. You're absolutely right, and that number doesn't work. HUD will tell you that 30% is the optimum number. And when you, go, when you start increasing beyond that, uh, the probability of an interruption in rent stream goes up geometrically. And I can tell you that when utilities are at their highest peaks is when we see the highest number of interruptions of rent. So when landlords purchase great deals in higher risk areas, the the thing that I would what I encourage our, our clients is to price the property so it's affordable relative to the average tenant that's going to be attracted to the area. And we look at the median income of the demographic and then suggest that consideration of pricing the property fits within a, an affordability standard that would allow for a success. We, I mean, as a landlord, you want the tenant to be successful. But if, if you start the process where the odds are against the tenant being successful, there's a greater chance than not that your investment will suffer because of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, statistically, according to the Census Bureau and everybody else, uh, rents are currently at about a 15-year high, and vacancies are at about a 15-year low. And a lot of landlords, I know, are uh, sort of crowing over the fact that a property that rented for 650 two years ago will now rent for 800 a month, and that's going to be a you know a low to moderate income. Uh, type of rental, and yet we all know that wages have not <laughs> risen appropriately. You're absolutely right. Uh, to, I mean, so there's there's people willing to pay that, but what you're questioning is, is it smarter to have them pay 800 and maybe only be able to stay there for nine months, or is it smarter for them to pay 650 and be there for years on end? Longevity of tenancy and quality tenancies, quality tenants, is the very best way to have a successful investment. And the thing that one must also consider is that when one lowers the rent to make it more affordable in the higher-risk areas, not only are you benefiting from greater affordability for the tenant, but you're also reducing your marketing time. And most importantly, you're increasing the value of the property so that you have a larger pool of tenants to screen, thereby being able to be more selective in your screening process. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and very critical. Now, on the, on the flip side of this, 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 as the risk is reduced and as the inventories are, because your, your point is accurate, the inventories are short, you can exploit greater rents. And 
when you're looking at the medians of income from those applicants, it's the, the problem is not as great. Mm-hmm. And so you can increase rent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The simple math of it that I'm not sure landlords always do is you might be able to get an extra $100 a month rent because of the way the market is right now. But if you only get that for nine months and then you have a turnover and and a vacancy for a month or two months, and, you know, in some of the areas that in which I own rentals, I have to board up some of the doors and put an alarm in the property and register the alarm and pay the monthly fee for the alarm and, 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 and. You just gained $900 for nine months worth of rent versus $2,000 for the, for the it, turnover. It's false economy. And again, understanding the numbers of the area and where the property is located, understanding what the, what the rents should be, because part of our data set is also predicting rents based on comps around it. Looking at what the vacancy rates and the tenancy duration rates are, and then adjusting rents accordingly, also considering how many competitors you have. And a lot of the areas that are of higher risk have a lot of vacant doors, although overall the number of vacants are are way down. There are pockets of high vacancies where a lot of investors have gone into an area and rehabbed and brought back to life homes that were otherwise not habitable. They create actually an uh, an increase of inventory, usually for a short period of time, but yet they will create increases of inventory. When, when we're going to market with a property to rent, we want to look at how many properties are we competing against of like type and then adjust our rents so that we are going to be more favorable in the eyes of those available tenants so that we can screen the biggest number possible so that we can be selective and take the best of those that we screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today is Scott Abbey from RentFactsPro.com. And uh, we're talking about things that you might not be thinking about when you are buying a property, when you are deciding on rent for a property, and when we come back from the break, when you are thinking about the management of that property. We're also taking your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can use our website to send in questions. Just go to realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you've missed out on Real Life Real Estate's $1 to get started inner circle offer, you need to go check that out at realliferealestate.com. The Inner Circle is an ongoing program where not only do you get additional education in the form of Wednesday night webinars, but also get the opportunity to ask questions anytime via email and have them answered directly by me at that time, not on the radio. It's only thirty nine ninety seven a month to be a member, but you can try it for a dollar and you can quit anytime. And the best part is all that money goes to public radio here at the Maple Knoll Radio Network. A much needed boost in the arm for them and a much needed boost in the arm for your real estate career. You can find out all about that on reallife realestate.com. 
talking today to Scott Abbey about his uh, sort of uniquely logical and mathematical system for deciding about uh, properties and how they should be purchased, how they should be handled, how reserves should be handled, how management of these properties should be handled, and uh, also taking listener questions via realliferealestate.com or at 877-772-9658. We have a question here from Mel in Cincinnati. Mel says, uh, given that most uh, uh, income properties in what you would call a high-risk area are evaluated based on their rents, aren't we actually reducing the value of the property by reducing the rents? Well, uh, the answer to that question is, if you look at it purely at a snapshot in time, yes. Um, the yield on a rental property that has, shows an, as part of the perform a lower rent number, it will impact the ROI or the or the. Um, cap rate that's established, which oftentimes is the establishing point for price, the purchase price. However, uh, one must be realistic and consider that many properties have been purchased with an expectation of performance that have failed to meet that expectation, and that expectation is generally driven by two factors, location risk and the absence of quality management. Either of those two factors have to be considered in the actual outcome of the performance of the property. And I would argue that the location risk is certainly an important part of that because you cannot control the location other than making the decision to buy the property or not. The management can be changed and modified to adjust to the needs of the property uh, portfolio outcomes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, something you said a little bit earlier that... um uh, relates to my next question. I want. I, I'd, I'd like you to to expand on it, and that is, you said maybe in a high risk area, you make the property nicer than what the properties around it look like, which of course is the exact opposite of what most people do in high risk areas. They they sort of you know tape it together and say it's good enough because everything else looks like this too, right? What What is the thought process and what do you mean by nicer? Am I putting hot tubs in these properties now? No, no, but many times the mean average of the properties in higher risk areas is mediocre. And, I, and what you want to do is you want to present a quality living place for the area. And that although it doesn't mean tear out the Formica countertops and put marble in, it means making certain that the the property is in good condition, that it's clean. A lot of times landlords will uh, not put the level of attention in those properties, uh, and, and it's a mistake. In fact, the most important thing you can do is stand above the competition so that you can be more competitive, so that you can have greater selectivity, so that you can have to pick the best of the best of the tenant pool that's available at that moment in time. And it's simple as making sure that, that when, when folks that are interested in the property drive in and walk in, there's some wow factor. There's, you know, that the, there's curb appeal, that it's clean. I, I can't tell you how many properties that I viewed that were for rent from competition that were filthy dirty. And the very best tenants are turned off by that. They turn around and walk out. So you, you want to raise the, the standards so that you are 
of a higher higher mode than your competition, and then be selective and and, and capture the very best tenants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no no bugs running around while the applicant's looking at it. Um, no dead mice Hopefully in the bathtub, not. which I actually saw once in one of my own rentals and fired the property manager over. Uh, no, no bad smells. Everything's clean. Everything's fresh. Is there, is there anything else that you ever recommend to your clients about about particular wow factor things? Well, I, the, in in areas of higher risk, affordability is a is a really important part of that. So, so weather seals and uh, lighting and making sure the mechanicals are in good state of repair, because and making sure there's good adequate insulation in the property is really critical because if your if your tenant spends an extra $100 a month in utility costs during the heating and cooling seasons and that $100 added to the rent takes their uh, the cost of living into the 40 percentile of their gross income you are putting yourself at risk of not being able to collect rent or having to have an interruption in rent, or worse, having to have an eviction if there is a loss of hours for that tenant. So in addition to, wow, modify the property so that you can you can talk about the total operating expense and making that expense more affordable, which will, will the money will come back to you in a more secure stream of income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things you just mentioned are things that you really only have to do them once. That's right. You know, insulate, That's replace right. the windows. You know, weather sealing might have to be you know redone every ten years, but it's cheap. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so um, those are those are all the sorts of things. Particularly when we have a spike in utility costs, like we did a couple of years ago. Well, it, evictions typically are in most cities. Evictions tend to be more common in the peak utility use periods, and there's a reason for that. It, because there's more money that's costing the attendance to um, support the household. And so, again, adjusting rents so that the tenant has a chance of success will increase and heighten the success of the investor. And, and albeit, uh, it, it, on paper, you may say, well, with the lower rent, I've, I've, I've hurt my chance to, to maximize my sale price. In, in actual uh, experience, the investor who is sensitive to these factors will have a better return. In fact, in many of these higher risk areas, investors will go in with an expectation that's really unrealistic in terms of rent value and, and tenancy duration, only to go through two or three and many, sometimes as many as four tenants, just to finally throw their hands up and say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore because they're putting in so much money in make ready costs and marketing costs. And they're having so many periods of time where they're not collecting rent. This utopian return on investment does not materialize. In fact, it can become a disaster and create a financial hardship for the investor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about how how high risk properties can be profitable anyway. Let's let's assume that I haven't bought a property yet. I'm looking at it. I'm sort of going through your analysis. I say, wow, you know, this this actually is looking like it might be a, quote, high-risk property. But I'm also looking at the numbers, and, and, and they look really good. <laughs> you said you said the other piece other than 
you know, making sure that you have the longevity of the tenants, which is related to the things we just talked about, plus keeping the rents reasonable. After I buy it, though, I may need to manage it somewhat differently than I would have had I bought the the low-risk property that I was also looking at. Well, it's important to provide extremely good service. And I, this actually is a true statement for virtually all risk areas, but it's it's really important in the higher risk areas because, again, you do not want to create an environment where uh, your tenant is motivated to move because of a lack of service or poor service. Many times, owners of properties in higher risk areas, they're slower to come to the to the property to make the repairs Perhaps the repairs are um, marginal in, in quality, and I would argue that that's a mistake because the, the tenant is is very they're, they're looking at what's going on. They're saying, well, if, you, if it takes you five days to come fix uh, fill in the blank, uh, why should I stay? And 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 there are plenty of vacant properties in these areas that they can certainly go to. So, I, providing great service, being being uh, respectful of the tenant, and being um, courteous. And being sensitive to, to privacy, providing adequate notice when there needs to be someone at the property to do an inspection or to do a repair, showing courtesy at the time of repair, making sure that the, that the things are cleaned up. These are common sense things that are often neglected in areas of higher risk. And these are areas that these these types of things should be more observed, not less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's another category, and that's security. When the property goes vacant, it's important that security be of a concern because of the probability of vandalism, uh, stripping pipes, vacancy in any property in any neighborhood that extends beyond 60 days puts the landlord at risk because most insurance policies have have a fine print that indicates that claims of vacant property that exceeds 60 days can be denied by the carrier. And so speed of getting the rehab done, making certain that the there's security on the property. I know for our, many of our clients, we provide um, a temporary security system that goes in. It's a cell-based system. It goes in during the time of make ready and during the time of marketing, and then we pull the, the security system out. That can save thousands of dollars and, and, and weeks of downtime if a property is broken into and vandalized. So these are things that, as a, as you're managing these properties, that you, you want to be extremely sensitive to. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, don't, because those tenants aren't paying as much rent as the tenants in your, you know, grade A, great school system, you know, uh, wonderful neighborhood close to everything properties does not mean that you get to treat them <laughs> worse. It, in fact, it means exactly the opposite because the entire... It does mean exactly the opposite. Because it, the entire goal exactly here is maximize the length of occupancy. Yeah, it's a mindset that is we're doing this for the long haul and to do it for the long haul you want to be able to repeat yourself over and over and over see the same rent check coming in month after month after month and if it's a hundred dollars less than what you'd hoped it would be but it comes in for 32 36 42 months uninterrupted you've got a winner Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to take one final break at which again i'm going to invite listeners to email or call with any questions that you might have you can 
Uh, send us an email by going to our website, realliferealestate.com, or you can call us at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Scott Abbey from RentFactsPro.com. If you happen to be listening to us through the podcast, remember that we do, in fact, have a live radio program going on at Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen to it from anywhere in the world at wmkvfm.org. And that is what gives you the opportunity to ask questions. Um, Question here from George in Chicago. George says, how much weight do you put onto things that a property might have, like a fenced yard, a finished basement, things that... Uh, should it should result in increased rent for a particular property do you even take these into account when you're looking at risk or does this go more toward purchase price i, I don't think that the fence or a, a finished basement would it doesn't really impact the risk because the risk is a driven is driven by neighborhood characteristics uh, certainly those those are factors that impact the value of the property and it also has a uh, albeit minor, it does have a minor impact on the rents. Oftentimes, finished basement space is less desirable than than you might think because, my experience at least, finished basements in rental property often require additional servicing because of water intrusion. And I I like, personally, for our, our investors, we suggest painted walls and bright lights, and that way you have access to plumbing and electrical but if you have a finished basement and it's finished in a, a way that's nice and it's well lit, and particularly if there's some daylight, it's added square footage, and square footage is one of the divider, the, one of the things that drives rent. Uh, fencing is also great because it provides a secure environment for children or a pet. So yeah, I, I think a fenced yard is a plus for a rental property, mm-hmm. and it should it should garner, garner some additional attention or some additional rent and purchase price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, wow, I'm trying to translate this question. I should have I should have read it before I started talking because I I may have to uh, go on to another question and read this while you're answering the the next question. Uh, Dan from Dayton, Ohio, would like to know your thoughts on Section Eight in terms of of mitigating some of the risk in lower income properties. Since Section Eight tenants have to sign a one year lease and in, the- in theory have to keep it, and in fact uh, have a hard time uh, finding another place if they break their lease because they might lose their Section Eight eligibility. Well, it's a good question, and it, it, to some extent, it is uh, regionally driven. I, I, I know that from my experience, I, I, I service two states, Kansas and Missouri, and oftentimes various Section 8 offices will uh, administer Section 8 in different means. My general overview of Section 8 is it's, it is a worthwhile thing, it's good, and it definitely helps. But the idea that a Section 8 tenant... Uh, is going to stay there for a year is not uh, an absolute um, change in room. If, if if a Section 8 tenant brings in an additional party that has income, that can immediately change the status of that Section 8 check if 
and it might even eliminate the amount of money that the Section 8 tenants uh, will pay. And then you have, perhaps, you've placed a Section 8 tenant without regard to general um, practices for screening, and you are left with a 30-day notice from Section 8 to rid yourself of the tenant and find a new tenant. Also, if a tenant fails to maintain the property and the Section 8 inspection finds the tenant at fault, which is sometimes the case, they can eliminate that Section 8 without notice. They'll give a 30-day notice, but as quickly as 30 days, that lease can be terminated. So I, I would, and, and all, the same would be true of paid utilities. If a utility is shut off, that's grounds for Section 8 to terminate the agreement with the, the uh, Section 8 person. So it is not a utopian, but it certainly is a good tool and it should be considered along with many other factors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, interesting email here from Leah in Middletown who says, uh, some of the best advice I ever got years ago about owning these uh, lower income rental properties is about how you s- finish the surfaces to begin with. For instance, paint hardwood floors rather than put in carpet, put in tile in bathrooms rather than linoleum because tile is more durable. Uh, as a many year property manager, do you have any additional recommendations about the finish of these properties to lower the inevitable turnover costs? Well, y- yes, durable finishes is certainly a, a, a very important part of it. Using good fixtures as opposed to the cheapest fixture possible is good. Making certain that the, there's regular proactive maintenance on mechanicals and, and plumbing, that's all important. But I, I will tell you that the, the screening process will have more to do with your turnover costs than the materials you use in the property. Having high-quality, consistent objective analytical screening standards, measurable screening standards is the best tool for reducing turnover costs. Very good. Um, another, uh, this is actually more along as a comment, I suppose, from uh, JC in Las Vegas, a frequent listener and frequent question asker. He says, I'm finding this discussion very interesting, even though I've never bought a rental property in my life and don't intend to. However, I do buy defaulted notes, and many of them are in rental areas. It is often the case that, unfortunately, we do have to foreclose on these notes, and this adds a tool in the bag of the analysis about what to pay for those notes, so thank you. Boy, that could be a whole that could be a whole new like arm of your business there to <laughs> go to the. Well, it's actually uh, lenders are using the tool uh, as part of their evaluation process uh, for notes and for properties that are being underwritten. Mm, okay. That's as are insurance companies. So it, it, it is it has a broad application. Very interesting. Okay, last minute question here from Teal in Columbus. She says, "Are you using the census data to calculate some kind of a score similar to a credit score?" to determine if they fit the law, the ideal long-term tenant profile you've developed for a particular property. So I think what she's asking is, is there some, is there some correlation between, uh, you, you've got your score for your property, do you have a similar score under which you would evaluate a tenant now that the property is already bought? A great question, and the answer is, Yes, for my, my property management firm, it is not currently available uh, on a national level. But yes, we, we, we built a scoring model for tenant acceptance that correlates with the risk 
at the property or neighborhood level. And what it allows for is, again, a, a, an objective analytical yes or no to a tenant uh, denial. And what we find is that when, when using a scoring model for, for scoring tenants, it helps improve the quality of scoring. When I first started this, I, I would give an application to four people and say, give me your, your, tell me what you believe is the right yes or no answer for this applicant. And I, I it was consistently inconsistent. <laughs> so uh, having an analytical tool to score tenants based on inputs from the app uh, is, a, is a great way to add consistency to your, to your screening. And again, I can't emphasize it enough. Screening is one of the most important things that can be done consistent, analytical, and constantly tweaking it so that you make improvements based on lessons learned over time. Of course, we've been doing this for 23 years. We've uh, developed some pretty ac good accuracy in that process. The guest is Scott Abbey. The company is rentfactspro.com. We are out of time here on Real Life Real Estate, but of course we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then... Happy investing.